And Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And Lord, as those receiving your peace, being still before you, placing our trust and committing our way to you, Lord, we lift up our nation. We lift up the bitter divides, the anger, all the voices that are want so badly to be heard and valued. We have a nation that is aching for love. They're aching for purpose. They're aching for someone to, to see them, to care for them. Lord, we, ha- we are a nation in the midst of darkness, scrambling for some sense of reality and understanding of what is going on and what is real and what is reality. Lord, I pray that we as your church, that you show us how to rise up in this time, to not allow fear to rule us, but how to speak your word clearly, but do it all in love. That we might not just speak with our mouths your word, but we might demonstrate with our lives your character, the very character of Jesus. For we are your followers. And Lord, we pray, God, that you will begin to work a healing within our nation. God, that all of the clamoring and the noise, that your word might pierce right through it. That we might respond as your church with humility, with brokenness, with confession, with hope. Lord, may you hear the cries of our hearts. And when we don't know what to pray, may your spirit give us utterance as to how to pray. And when we don't know what to say, may we be content to be still and listen. That our hearts might be moldable and that you might lead us in your way. We might commit our way to you, take delight in you, trust in you, knowing that you will make our righteous reward shine like the dawn and vindication like the noonday sun. We thank you, Father, that you have never failed. You've never failed us. And you've never told us anything that's untrue. You've never manipulated us. You've never sought to twist the narrative. So Lord, show us what it means to be true to you during this time. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Oh, worship team, thank you guys for leading us in that. Man, what a, what a gift you guys are. Thank you, man. Um, and we're like, we're going to continue in just this attitude of worship. Um, opening up God's word together. Um, this is a message today that I've wrestled with till the very end, <laughs> meaning until this point right here. Making all kinds of plans, writing things down, but allowing, trying to allow just the Lord to shape it and mold it how he wants, um, even to the point of getting here. And so 
I bring it humbly today, and I, my prayer, as always, is that God and His Spirit will use it to, to speak to our hearts and, his, and minds. That you would not look to me uh, for, for truth, but you'll look to Him. And my hope is that you'll see and come out of this service with a greater hunger and thirst for who He is um, as a result of it. But last week, to kick off the new year, we started a new series called Getting Back to the Why where we, we zoomed out and took a big picture and said, all right, in, a, in a crazy times like right now, it's easy to focus on, you know, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to think? How are we supposed to live? All those things. But maybe we need to zoom out and just say, okay, why? Instead of what and how, perhaps before we get to those questions, we need to start with, well, why does God have us on this earth for this time and place and history? And so, to give us a quick summary refresher, we went back to try to look at the grand story of the Bible. and To see that God, from the beginning, designed us to be people who reflect or image who He is to this world. That even though that was broken because of sin, that He sought to restore that in Christ, that we might find our purpose ultimately in Him. And if you missed last week's message in my Bob Ross-level artist skills... Um, You can certainly check out that message on uh, Trinity YouTube page. But this week, um, we're going to move from talking about our individual lives to to ourselves as a community. And why, what is God's why for his church? What is the ultimate purpose for, for this community of Christ followers together called the church. Why do churches like Trinity that want to, to live out God's word and be faithful to him, why do we exist? But I want to say we're not asking this question today as an intellectual exercise only <laughs> or, or just a cute reflection in the midst of a vacuum. I want to wrestle with what is the purpose of the church in the present darkness of our current situation in the world. In the midst of bitter voices, ripe anger, all of those seeking to bring about a deep division, in our weary frustration over an incessant virus and all that's been lost in its wake, as those who are just tired, in a time when the powers of evil have cast confusion over our society. Why? What is God's why for his church? Why does the church exist? And see, like many of you, throughout this whole season, I myself have called for the church to be united in a divided age. But what are we uniting around? I've heard many voices say, well, it's time for the church to wake up. Yeah, it is. But, but, But to what? Right? Like what to what purpose, to what ends? And when we look at all that the church does, we look at the what or the how of church. You know, we pray and we fast. That we're this week we're starting a week of prayer and fasting, which I'll talk about more at the end. Like why? We're seeking to open the building next week, which is great, but why? Well, I could I could preach till I lose my voice. We could give a million dollars to the poor, but why? Those are the what. But what is the purpose of the church behind it all? 
Well, one thing I do know is that the church doesn't belong to me, and it doesn't belong to you. The church belongs to Christ, so he gets to decide the why. And we look to him to understand his ultimate purpose. And I know that whenever I start to feel overwhelmed, or I start to feel absorbed with, with, with the stuff of life, or even the difficulties of church, when I come back to God's ultimate why, then I remember again that, that thing that propelled me, that called me to become a pastor in the first place. That there's something when I return to Jesus' words about why his church exists, this, like, like this fresh faith and hope begins to build in me again. And so we're going to look in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is speaking what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking to a bunch of Jewish peasants. And to be fair, these peasants, they are not rich. They are not powerful. They're not all that educated. And most of them probably smelled like fish. But Jesus knew that still they were going to have a purpose that would change the world. So what is that purpose? And do we believe that if he can work through ordinary Jewish fishermen, you better believe He's still working today, and he's working through all of us. So I want you to open with me to Matthew chapter 5 to get us started. Verse 14 through 16. Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. All right, take this in. I don't, no matter how many times you've heard it, take it in. Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now pray after me. Say, God, open my heart. Open my mind. Change my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, as we dive in, I'm going to first lay out what is God's big picture purpose for his church. In a few minutes, talk about as the church of Jesus, we are a spotlight pointing, shining on the world's true Savior. But I'm also going to talk about how it is that the church often gets sidetracked from that mission, especially in today's age. But how we as a church can, 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 can live in such a way that we remain focused and centered on that purpose that God has for us. But let me just say from the beginning that I'm not sharing all of this because I'm the perfect pastor who has it all figured out. Right? I fall short daily. I get sidetracked regularly. I have to go back to grace over and over again. And the only way that we as a church are going to fulfill God's why, his mission for us together, is if we learn to lean seriously into him and receive his grace. So with that said, how does Jesus help us understand his purpose for us? He only uses a few words here. And by saying, you are the light of the world. 
But I don't want us to just glaze over those words too fast or to, to, to flippantly throw them on a t-shirt because then that becomes a danger of becoming cliche. But really, that you are the light of the world has a galaxy of meaning behind it that is tied in to the story of Scripture from beginning all the way to the end. How does Jesus want us to hear these words? How does he want us to understand our purpose in this world? What does you are the light of the world really mean? Well, let me try to summarize it in a simple statement, and then I'll build on that. That plugged into God through Christ, we are a different type of community than the world, illuminating an alternative way for this world. That plugged in to God through Christ, we are a different type of community, illuminating an alternative way for this world. So again, Matthew 5 is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's really 5 through 7, where Jesus is speaking to ordinary Jewish peasants who are his apprentices or his disciples. And he declares to them, you, and it's a plural you. So really, we could say, you all, or in my native tongue, y'all, are the light of the world. Now, when we're trying to understand what this means, sometimes when we go to the Bible... Our first question we ask is, what do I think it means? Or what do I want it to mean? But I, if, if we're going to read the Bible well, then we need to start by asking, what did Jesus mean when he said this? Because when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, what he does not mean is that you and I have this light hidden inside of you. That you are a source of light. And she is a source of light. And we all have a source of light hidden within each of us. And that the purpose of light, life is to uncover that light. To cast off all fear and the standards of the world. And set that light free, a.k.a. just be who you are. And then when you are who you are, then it will encourage other people to live as authentically to the light inside of them as they can. Well, that's not the story of Scripture, and I'll explain why in a moment. That's really more of an Enlightenment-era thought or modern individualism. That's not what the Bible teaches, and that's certainly not what Jesus means. When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he's saying, you and I are not the source of light. But when we are in connection with the God of heaven, we learn to reflect who he is to a dark world. Now, I need to refresh you guys on my masterpiece from last week. I cleaned it up a little bit. You like it? Yeah, I'm getting a little bit better. Um, but overall, we talked about last week how in the very beginning, God spoke his good world into existence. And after creating all things, he created human beings as, as those special or set apart from the rest of creation. Why? Because they were called to image or reflect who God is to one another and to the world out of love for and worship back to him. That ultimately, God is the one, as First John tells us, God is pure light. In him there is no darkness at all. And we are called to be those who reflect or center our lives around him. Reflecting him to the world. But 
as we follow the story of Scripture, when we get to Genesis chapter 3, we see the human beings, we've all sought, to, instead of centering our lives around God, we chose to live for ourselves instead. And the moment that we started to live for ourselves, we were somewhat surprised when it feels like the lights went out. And darkness began to cloud our thinking. It was almost like we were a lamp plugged into a socket. And the moment that we rebelled against God and thought we could do it all on our own, it's like that lamp was unplugged and our source of power and life was severed. And this is when the world grew dark. Humanity grew afraid. We began to act in shame. Romans 1 says that this is when human beings began to suppress the truth and create whatever narratives that they could in order to support their own human agendas. This is the point where human beings began to ache, ache, to discover true life again. But all they had was to try to find that in each other, to find that in the world, but it kept coming back empty. But as we follow the story, we know that in Scripture, although we were trapped in darkness, it says the true light, the light for everyone, came into the world. That the one called the radiance of God, the perfect representation of his being, the exact imprint, the perfect image of God, Jesus Christ, came to live in our world. To show us the way of God and what God's character is like and who God is. But he didn't just come to live. No, but he came also to die, to give his life in order to satisfy the just requirement for sin. And that in dying, he also rose again to make a way for new life. That what no human being had ever been able to do, rise from the dead, he himself did. Thus making a way for us to have life. And then he says, as he gives us life, he says, I'm giving you a mission. I'm giving you a mission to now once again spread, fill the earth with my disciples, my apprentices, those who are like you are, being conformed into my image. And I will be with you always. Well, how is he with us? Well, Christ says, I'm going to give you my spirit. The Holy Spirit. Who is the very one working within us. All those who believe and trust in Christ. His spirit is working within us, conforming us to him. It's as if we were once a dark lamp. Until the fire of God's spirit filled our souls. You see, we were never a source of light. He is. And as we give our lives to him, he begins to fill our hearts and our minds also with his light. And that is what has happened to us individually. And we understand that as the church, the church is not a building. The church is a collection. It is a community of people who have been called from darkness into his marvelous light. And so what, if this is what we understand of who we are as the church together, then as his light shines through us, reflects off of us, as the spirit moves through us, what happens? Well, as we become like Jesus, his light in us will illuminate an alternative way 
for this world. Now, when Jesus says we're the light of the world, of course it doesn't mean we glow. But it's a metaphor. But what it is saying is that just as light stands out in the midst of darkness, when we are connected to reflecting Christ, we will look very different than the rest of the world. But what kind of different? What, what do you mean different? Well, in order to understand what Jesus means, we need to get some context to you are the light of the world. In Matthew 5, he says you are the light of the world. But this comes after he describes a series of different characteristics that mark out who his people are and what they will look like in the world. We call these series of characteristics the Beatitudes. And we can find them in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 11. If you have your Bibles... You can turn there, Matthew 5, verses 3 to 11. He says, number one, that those who are seeking to center their lives around Christ, reflect Him, they're going to be people who recognize the poverty of their own spirits and grieve over the sin in this world. Number two, he said, or number three, gosh, there's so many, I'm trying to weave them all together. He says, they are humble or meek. They crave righteousness and justice. They're people who desire to show mercy. They're, they have pure, honest hearts before God. And they desire to work as heaven's representatives in order to make peace on this earth. Even if they are persecuted for it. You see, Jesus begins to lay out this list that's actually, when you start to read it honestly and compare it to the way this world operates, sounds quite radical. But these things are a living reflection of the vibrant character of God. And therefore, they will stand in sharp contrast to the rest of the world. But if you want to know what God looks like in human form, Jesus is laying that out for us right here with these Beatitudes. Poor in spirit, they mourn over sin. They are meek, they are humble, they hunger and thirst for righteousness, they are merciful, they, they seek to have a pure heart before God. They are peacemakers, and even if they're persecuted for it. So this is the purpose of the church. To reflect, or another way to say that, to glory our Father before one another and in the world. So all we say and do together reveals who He is and His way of life. That we are a new humanity. That we are an alternative community pointing to a different way in order to point to a different Savior. The world's true Savior. And man, every time I look at that picture, it gets me fired up. Before we just start saying amen, why is it sometimes that we as the church look more like the world than like Jesus? Why is it that we can sometimes get sidetracked or move away from our central mission? Well, if you're following the notes on the app, or I had this whole answer written out. But even just a few minutes ago, I felt like God told me to actually emphasize something differently. And so, and I feel like, you know, there's, there's a bunch of different ways and things that could ultimately distract us from the mission of God. But, but 
what I need to say right now in the midst of this cultural moment, the thing that I'm noticing as a pastor looking out at, at, at society and looking at the church across our nation, the thing that I am most concerned about within the church today is that the re, what can ultimately distract us from our mission is when we start looking to a different source other than Jesus as our light. That we're going to start looking to something else than Jesus. We're going to start listening to cultural critics, to the media, to political leaders, to celebrities, to somebody who types articles in their basement. We're going to start looking to pastors, leaders, somebody else other than Jesus as the source of our light. And I know some of us may say, well, I don't think I'm looking to any other source other than Jesus right now, my light. But the question I have to ask myself honestly, as well as all of us, is what are we giving the majority of our attention to? Who are we giving the majority of our attention to? Is it God's word? Or is it somebody else? Because ultimately where we spend... The majority of our attention and our energy, where we pour out a majority of our time, oftentimes points to what we're centering our lives around. And whatever we are centering our lives around, that is the thing that is ultimately shaping who we are becoming. And even if we're not sure, I don't really know what source I'm looking to right now then that is when we can start looking at the fruit in our own lives. The evidence in our own lives. Because what I'm seeing in the world right now is very little beatitudes. And I'm not just talking about from the church. I'm just talking about in the world in general. I'm seeing very little beatitudes. Instead, I'm seeing a lot of anger and blame. Instead of being open with our own hearts and seeking to have a pure heart, I'm seeing a lot of finger pointing everywhere. I'm seeing a lot of people who, who are seeking to, to, to ultimately seeking the truth according to their own narrative. I'm seeing a lot of bitterness. I'm seeing two sides split down the middle and divided and pointing fingers and saying, thank God that I'm not like them. That's not poverty of spirit. That's self-righteousness. And, it, and I see it in me. I've seen it in me, and God has been saying, Kirk, I want to address these things in you. Because you cannot reflect me, image me. You cannot fulfill your purpose for my life until you start by saying, Lord, I am poor in spirit. Teach me to grieve over the things that grieve your heart. Show me how to come before you humble, meek, dependent. Show me how to hunger and thirst for righteousness, not my own agenda. Show me, God, how to keep a pure heart before you. Show me what it means to not just be a peacekeeper or not to continue to point the finger, but I'd be a peacemaker. 
a representative of the kingdom of heaven. A, a, as, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. What in the world does that mean? That means that we are ambassadors of God, representatives of heaven, as, as those who reflect him, seeking to bring a restored relationship with God to the world. How? By what we say, declaring his gospel, and how we live, living out the character of God. But have we? Are we looking to a different source? Have we centered our lives around the left or the right? I think it begins for all of us. By saying, well, Lord, what's the fruit of my life? Not your spouse. Not your uncle. Not your parents. Let's start by asking, God, what's the fruit of my life? And even this week, as we begin a week of prayer and fasting, perhaps this is the time to go back to the Beatitudes and to say, Lord, show me again who you are and what it means to image and reflect you in this time and place in history. Because we do not exist to reflect the world back to itself. We do not exist to hoard the light for ourselves. The only way we can be the light is if we exist to shine the spotlight on Jesus, the world's true Savior. But even if we see that, man, I've gotten off track, I realize, man, I, there are some things in my heart and I've been, giving, I've been centering my life around this ideology or this one, this narrative or this one. But, but I want to come back to ultimately saying, okay, let me just start with what I know is true. And that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That he rose again from the dead and that I am adopted as his son or a daughter. Let's go back to what we know is true. And I want to recenter, well, how do we begin to do that? If we know our purpose, which is to spotlight Jesus for the world, and we also know the temptations to, to, to lead us away from that, then how can we remain focused on Jesus even now? Well, let me give you a few thoughts that I see drawn out from Jesus's passage, what Jesus says here. See, a church centered around Jesus has hearts open to his truth, arms open to all people, and feet walking toward the darkness with his light. First, hearts open to his truth. Yes, we are the light of the world. But before we can start being a light to the world, are we the kind of church that's willing to allow God to, to shine the light within our own hearts? <laughs> are, are we the kind of church that says, you know what, God, whatever it is that you want to show me, I'm open to that. If God, if Jesus seeks to point out and bring to surface in our lives, if he allows things to be brought to surface like our past shame or deep fears or, or ways that we've been centering our lives around ourselves, if he brings that to surface for us, are we, do we stiff arm him or do we say, all right, even though it might be painful, come on in? Because one thing I know is that when things get difficult, man, it is so easy for my heart to begin to get polluted with my own agenda, my own fears, my own anger, my own angst. But I want to keep a pure heart before Jesus. Because if his light's going to be seen, then I want my heart 
to be open to allow his light to penetrate it. And this means as a church that we develop rhythms of confession, of sin, repentance. That we have practices of consistently allowing God to search our hearts. This is one of the reasons why we're holding a week of prayer and fasting this upcoming week. Because, not because this is popular, right? But because this is how we set a rhythm in our hearts and minds to say, God, may my heart be open to you. Do we allow the fire of God's Spirit to burn up all that is not of Him so that we can be free to fully follow Him? Just like Hebrews 12 talks about. He says, may we run the race, throwing off every sin and weight that clings to us. That we might be His pure, bold light in the midst of the world. Do we have open hearts before Him? Well, second... A church centered on him also has arms open to all people. Jesus compares the light of the world to a city set upon a hill. And see, in Jesus' day, a traveler who was stuck traveling at night had little to no light. Most likely they were tired because they're walking. They're worn out. They need rest. And when they finally saw in the distance that city lit up on a hill, it would come with a sense of relief. Because now they know they're going to find a place to rest, recharge, perhaps heal, maybe a place to belong. And in the same way, and we have a world full of, we have a dark world, world full of wandering people. And like that city, we as a church are called to open our arms to welcome them. One of the things I love about Trinity is that we have, we have such a welcoming culture. That when people, somebody new walks in our doors, or we find somebody on Facebook, I've seen you guys, man, you're, you're welcoming new people, even on, even on social media. Like, we have open arms to them. And the reason why that's so huge is because we don't know anyone who encounters us as a community, we don't know what they're going through, what, what they're trying to heal from, what kind of rest they need, or how they might be aching for some sense of belonging. But as those who have been forgiven much by Jesus, when somebody walks in, we receive them with grace. We open our arms and show them, hey, this is a place where you can belong. We share the message of Jesus with them. And our hope is that whether they choose to stay as a part of our community or whether they choose to travel on, that they walk out of this church and out of this community or sit within this community, not saying how great is Trinity, but how great is their God and he really does change lives. That's success as a church that we pointed to him. But it begins by saying everybody who walks in this church is made in the image of God. And therefore God wants to reach them. And so we open our arms to all people. We open our hearts to his light. And number three. A church centered on Jesus has feet walking toward the darkness with his light. As Jesus said, may your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and give glory to Trinity. Nope. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. But the key part of this is let your light shine before others. Which means that we learn to step toward the darkest places. 
And this same teaching is coming from a man who stepped from heaven's glory into our dark earth. And he stepped from the light of life in order to the darkness of death, out of love, in order to bring us into relationship with him. And sometimes uh, we are called to do, not sometimes, that's who we are. We're called to bring his darkness or his light, man, I'm messing up, right into the midst of the darkness and the darkest of places and situations. But listen, I know sometimes when we bring the light into dark places, it's not always received so well. Similar to how my kids respond when I turn on the light and wake them up in the morning. It's like I, their beloved father, am now the enemy. Sometimes that is exactly how we will be treated. And Jesus tells us that. John chapter 3. He says, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. Some people reject the light. But if they do reject it, I pray it's for the right reasons, because we represented the character of Jesus to them. However, like that weary traveler searching for the city on a hill, many receive it, ache for it, crave it. And when they finally discover who Jesus is, their search for love, identity, and hope is over. And as the church of Jesus, we are the spotlight shining on the world's true Savior. Listen, there's so much more I wish I could say. Because this is one of my favorite topics in the world as far as what is the purpose of the church. But I believe firmly, fully, that no matter how ordinary you or things may seem or how difficult things may seem, that nothing can compare to the power of God when, when his people are available to be set ablaze by his spirit. It's not about being a perfect church. If God was waiting for us to be perfect to move through us, ah, it will never happen. But if we want to see God move through us, it begins by being available and willing. Am I available to whatever it is that he wants to say and do in my heart and my life. And am I willing to simply say yes and follow him wherever he leads? Wherever he leads. And the reason this is so crucial is because this area north of Boston needs to see the light. There will come a day when we'll no longer need a sun, we'll no longer need lamps, that he himself will be our light, as Revelation 22 says. But right here and right now, in the midst of the present darkness, the chaos, the confusion, all that swirling around, I invite us to lay down our fears, to pick up his mission, and as the church of Jesus, become that spotlight that's shining on the world's true Savior. And this week, in order to prepare our hearts to do just that, we are holding a week of prayer and fasting. It really starts today with this worship service this morning. And every day this week, I encourage you to set apart intentional time and spaces in order to connect with God in a deeper way. Listen, He hears your prayers. If you have given your life to Jesus, you have been adopted as a son or daughter of God, and the Father never misses the prayers of his kids. He hears you. But if you're not sure how to pray, 
You're not sure what, what that really means. I, I gave out a simple prayer guide this last week via email. We're going to send out that simple prayer guide again. For families, uh, Miss Leanne created a prayer guide for you guys that looks much better than mine. But that aside, <laughs> we, that we have guides and ways that we're going to send it out via social media. We're going to send it out again. That, that if you need advice or ideas for how do I really pray, you can do that. And fasting, as we talked about last Sunday, is really when we willfully decide to give up something in order to insert time and attention to God. That I want to subtract something. Oftentimes fasting is associated with food or certain types of food, TV, social media, whatever it might be, in order to open up space to be with God. Might there be something that God wants to subtract? I've talked to some people this week who are going to give up certain types of food. Some people giving up social media. Some people giving up the news. <laughs> some people, various things in order to give their heart and mind more fully to Christ and who he is. But all of that is for the purpose of opening our hearts to his light. So that he can reflect who he is in and through us. His church. Pray with me. Father God, I do pray as every time that you will be glorified in our lives. That even if you point to things in our hearts and our lives that are painful for us to see, that if you are exposing things that we would really have worked hard to keep hidden. Lord, that even in the pain of that, would you teach us how to trust you? Would you show us that, that, that you are a God who is ultimately coming to work within us in order to set us free? To purify our hearts. That we might not give away glory to any human being or to this world, but all of it might be reserved for you. God, we do not exist for the preferences of ourselves. We as a church do not exist for the preferences of even non-believers. We exist to bring you glory. And by bringing you glory, God, we naturally emulate to you to one another and the world will see who you are. So Father, continue to move our hearts. Sometimes it's hard work allowing you to move in our hearts. It's easy to center our lives around the, the people and things that are right in front of us. But may you show us how to resist all those things that want to clamor for our allegiance in order to give it fully to you. Thank you for your peace. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. Let's